Well, and we'll get started here. Romans 13. We're going to actually do something I never thought we would be able to do, and that is conclude the chapter. <laughs> and uh, look here at the last two verses. Uh, we'll start reading in verse 11, if you will, and uh, then we will uh, 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 keep moving along here. Verse 11, and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly... As in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And uh, that is a verse 13 and 14 uh, is where we're at here. Very fitting way to end the chapter. This whole chapter has been our reasonable service to the higher power, the human government. And we spent time looking at that issue about being subject to and why. Why did God create human government to begin with? And again, Paul doesn't say anything about the type of government, the people in the government, or any of that. He says, hey, here's your reasonable service to and with in your interaction with government. And then we saw the second part of the chapter, verse 8 and following, our reasonable service to society about us. And that wonderful fact there of chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that's the issue there. The issue in this 12 to 16 is our reasonable service. And honestly, in the book of Romans, we don't know what service looks like. That's why Paul is using these items, these sections, to deal with. We're a new believer. We're just learning. We learned about our justification the first five chapters. We learned about our identification in chapters 6, 7, and 8. We learned where we're at in human history, 9, 10, and 11. We're not Israel. We're not spiritual Israel. God isn't reigning in the hearts of men today and the kingdom and all that stuff that you hear out there in Christendom. We are the church, the body of Christ. God's doing something that he never said a word about or to anyone. He, cha he chose to do something with the Gentiles. So we learned about now Paul says, okay, based upon the mercies of God, I beseech you, that motivating factor here of, hey, because of who you are in Christ, come and join us. Come and do what needs to be done. Come and just come. And again, that attitude of grace, of just not a thou shalt not or thou shalt, but a, hey, just come and, and uh, join in what we're doing. And that reasonable service, that living sacrifice idea. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, it's not rehabbing your mind. It's not refurbishing your mind. It's renewing, anew, building something new, a new way of thinking, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect 
will of God. And again, good. Why? Why is it good? Well, because he has a design for it and a purpose for it. There's a reason why in our interaction with government is to be a certain way. And there's a reason why our interaction with society should be of love, love one another. Why? Well, the love, loving is fulfilling the law, this fulfillment of the law. So we have an idea here. We have a thinking process because it is good. The will of God is good. It's got a purpose to it, a design to it. There's a reason for it, so therefore it is acceptable. I may not see the reason for it. I may not understand the reason for it right now, but guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to still do it because the Word of God tells me to do it, and then my understanding will get there and will come. Therefore, it is perfect, that issue of growing up, maturing up that inner man. Again, in Romans, we know nothing about the will of God. So he's educating us here. What is the will of God? Well, again, the first section, 3 to 8, what was he dealing with? There's one body. Now we got this body mentality. And then we have this interaction within that body, 9, 10, 11, 9 to 16, that issue, of the, the, that issue of love one another. Let love be without love. That mental attitude, okay, that, that esteeming another better than themselves, valuing and looking at it the way God would look at it. So in 13 here, we are to remember who we are, and that's what Paul's driving home. Remember who you are. Who are you? Well, for the, to the human government, we're to understand why God, the purpose of government. How can that be? How can Paul say, verse number 4, 13-4, for he, and in Paul's day, that's Nero. How can Paul say that Nero is the minister of God to thee for good? Nero was a dictator. He was a murderer. He literally burns half the city down, blames it on the Christians, and gets everybody in all the citizenry up and roars about the Christians, hauls them off to the gladiators, to the arenas. And why? Because he hated Christianity. But what does Paul say? He's a minister of God to thee for good. How can that be? Well, how it is is Paul's not talking about the guy Nero. He's talking about the office that Nero holds, the governmental structure. That's the issue. We're to honor the king. How do you do that? Well, you come over here and you be subject to. And there's a whole, so again, it's a different way of thinking. What is our natural reaction? How how many of us love paying taxes? No way. Uh Uh-uh. But yet, what does verse 7 say? Hey, you need to, we owe a debt to the government. And we have to, pay attention to that and we have to I can remember when they were asking President Trump but he was not president at the time he wasn't even candidate and they asked him about filing bankruptcy in his real estate businesses he said if you don't like me filing bankruptcy change the law because everything he did was within the law well who made the law The government does. So then when he's over here as president and they're railing on him, he said, look, change the law. 
But see, if they change the law, then what they can't do it. <laughs> see? So, but they're, they like to chew on him because they didn't like him. But who, so what do you do? You, you be a good citizen. You play within the rules. Why? Because if you don't play within the rules, what are they going to do to you? They can kill you, which is what Paul did with, what was what Nero did with Paul. Ended up killing him. Why? Because he's the government. So when you, again, that renewed thinking, who are you? That's who we need to be. We need to be subject to. Verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Verse 10, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. As we deal with society, what's our mandate? Who are we? What are we to be doing? We're to love our neighbor. Verse 9, he brings in Leviticus 19, 18, about all in the thou shalt nots, and what he's doing, again, Paul is nailing the hammer, the nail in the coffin of the law. What is superior than the law, verse 10? Love. If love fulfills the law, is the fulfilling, then love is superior than law, than the law, the Mosaic law. So we don't need the law to do what? To interact with society. What are we to, how are we, we're to have a love for them? Well, what is Romans 5 8? But what is God's mindset about society? I'm not your enemy. But God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet, what? Sinners. What did he, he died for us. What an attitude to have about the, the society about us. So then in verse 11, and that. So verse 9, for this, verse 11, and that. So you got this and that. So the next part in our connection, in our interaction with society is this issue about knowing what time it is and the urgency of it. And we looked at this last time, verse 12, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. So what are we to do? We're to think and to value the way God thinks and values the way, but there's an urgency now. So verse 13, what are we to do? Let us walk honestly. Now, that's not about telling a lie and being dishonest. Okay? He tells us that later in other places. Rather, in regards to who we are in Christ, let's be honest in that. Let's put on the armor of light. Verse 14, let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Let's walk honestly. Okay? Let's, I, was, I opened the garage door and a little gecko took off. Okay? I love geckos. They killed all the bad bugs. Okay? But you know what that gecko looked like? He, was, he, he had a different color on him. He had blended into the concrete almost. Okay? A little later, you'll, I'll find him and he'll be a darker. Depend, what can he do? Camouflage out and blend in? No, let's walk honest. Let's be who we are to be. So it's walking honest. That is to walk in step with who God has made us in Christ. And honestly, that's a higher level of honesty than just not telling a lie and, you know, not stealing and cheating. 
And that's what we're talking about. So in relationship to human government, what are we to do? If we're walking honest, we're to be subject to, okay? In relationship to society, what are we to do? We're to love them. The, the superior love, the superior activity. And then we there are to have this urgency. We're to know about the time. The law is not necessary for the believer to walk honestly. That's what Paul's nailing down here. You walk honestly because of who you are in Christ. Look over, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. Hold on to Romans 13. Just look at 2 Corinthians 5. You see, that's why when we went through 6, 7, and 8, we spent so much time there. Most believers get through Romans 1 to 5, and then they stop. They don't move on in their understanding. They get justified, and then they jump and go right to 12.1, and let's go serve. And they have no basis. Now they're serving because of a thou shalt, see? They're serving because, well, the preacher said, or grandma said, oh, don't get on grandma, okay? Or mama said, or daddy said. See, they're not, now they're not moving from that internal motivation of, of grace, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. What's mo- I beseech you by the mercies of God. Let, that be the, let grace be the motivator here. How does grace think about this? Because we thus judge, and again, the word judge there is discernment. When a judge in a court case sits and rules, there is a discernment being made. It isn't judge in that you do this or else. It's in, let's decide, how are we going to think about this? That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which, what? You see, you got two classes of people. You got dead men, and then you got dead men that are alive. By the way, that's you as a believer, okay? You're dead to sin, but alive to God. You're dead to the law, alive to the Son. You're dead to the flesh and alive to the spirit. It's Romans 6, 7, and 8, respectively. What are we going to do? Not, uh, the, they which live, verse 15, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The very basis of your justification is enough motivation to go live your life for him. Now, Paul in Romans, on our foundational book of doctrine here of grace, he heaps up a whole much more of stuff that ought to motivate you, okay? But the very foundation of understanding your justification should be enough motivation. Now, we're a little thick-headed, so sometimes we need a little bit more. Go back to Romans 13, and that's what Paul's getting at here. So the law is not necessary. And I I took you through how Paul just nails the coffin lid shut on the law. Romans 2, Romans 5, Romans 7, Romans 8. It's just, he's building a list there of done, 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 and donner. Verse 13, let us walk honestly. So the walking honestly here as in the, what? The day. 
Let's walk as who we are. We're not of the night. We're of the day. Let's walk there. So the issue in the end of this chapter, the end of this section, is going to be this issue of light, armor of light. Put it on. Put on. Let's walk as in the the day. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 11, and that knowing the time. There's some things that we're going to know about the time. The dispensational time chart, we put it up here last time. What do we know? Verse 12, the night is far spent. In Acts 7, when Stephen sees the Lord standing, it's time for him to make his foes his footstool. And I I told you, Isaiah says enemies, where that quote is from. It's foes. Peter says it in Acts 2. Why? Because a foe is an active enemy. It's an ongoing engagement. An enemy is just that. He's just an enemy. Okay? I had an enemy last night. It was called the TV in Texas A&M. <laughs> it's like, Rrr. you know, now, but they're not, I'm, I'm not their foe. It was just for about, what, three or four hours there, you know. If I had a brick, I wouldn't have a TV anymore, you know. It's, in my house, everybody leaves the living room <laughs> and goes to the back corridor. Why? Well, that, because we have a foe going, no, we have a, we have a, a rival. God's enemies, his, his foes. The night is far spent. It's been depleted. It's time for wrath. Acts 7, the stoning of Stephen there, 51 to the end of the chapter. It's time for wrath. Romans 9, Romans 10, the vessels of fitted for destruction, for wrath. But what happened? They became vessels of mercy. What happened? God interrupted the program. He changed what he was doing with man. The day is at hand. You see, we know right now prophecy has been what? Paused. He hit the pause button on the DVD player. We don't know when he's going to hit play. So what do we are to have? We have a sense of urgency. Urgent. He has, could you imagine? I think about Paul a lot. Paul is a guy just like you and I are. He's working, in in Acts 14, he's stoned outside of Lystra and Derbe there, and he's left for dead. 2 Corinthians 12 says he was caught up into the third heaven, and and he saw things that he couldn't speak at the moment. He writes them in the book of Ephesians later. In Acts 14, Paul sees the whole picture laid out in the third heaven there when he's pulled up. That's what Ephesians does. Ephesians takes the corporate doctrine of the corporate body, puts it out there. In Ephesians, every chapter talks about the issue of glory and glory and future glory. Okay? Paul sees that. In Acts 14, he gets up, and where does he, what does he do? He goes right back into Dur- uh, uh, Lystra and Derby. And from Acts 14 through the end of that book, if you look at Paul's activity, not what he's doing, but He could care less whether he lived or died. Why? Because he saw that out there. Now, praise the Lord that he doesn't die, and and the Lord, obviously he's the Lord's guy, and he writes, you and I have the same information today in the completed word that Paul got by revelation 
And yet, what do, how do we live our lives? We kind of live it timidly sometimes. Paul lived it pedal to the metal. Metal to the pedal, sorry. I get it. Pet, right? He was boom, going. Why? Because he knows what? For me to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is far better. I, hey, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I've been there. I've seen that. I know what it is. And, but you know what? You and I are the same way. We've been there. We can study. We look at, so what, hey, the day's at hand. Right now, it's time to let's get on with it. And that's why we looked over there at 2 Timothy 2 about our salvation with, in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's not talking about your justification issues. He needs really talk, because in verse 11, the way that verse ends, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe, that's far more than just the rapture. He's talking about the future event, that future glory. See, our salvation, he's talking about our connection with the, the great event that has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ coming and his day of that glorious reconciliation of the universe and our participation in it. Come over to Colossians 1. And when you think about the, this is what we're to be walking on. What does society need us to do? They need you to walk as who you are in Christ. That's what they need. They don't need you to feed them in a soup kitchen line. They need them to, you to come over there and be that ambassador you're to be. Be who you're supposed to be. Look at Colossians 1. Look at verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross... By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether there be things in heaven or things in earth. Now that's the second time Paul has talked about all things being in heaven and earth. Look at verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So we've got two realms, don't we? We've got a visible earth and an invisible heaven. And he created some things in those two realms. What did he create? Whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things. So what are the all things? Government. A governmental structure in the universe, on the earth and in the heavenly places. So verse 20, by the way, what, where does that government today sit? It sits in the hand of the adversary. He's the prince, the power of the air. He's in control of it. Ephesians 6, the rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. So what, is, what does the Lord have? He's got a plan. Ephesians 1, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together all things. What are the all things? Government, principalities, powers, mights, thrones, dominions, rulers, Every other name that's named, there's like seven of them, six or eight of them. What's he going to do? He's going to gather them all back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth through the use of the nation of Israel in the heavenly places, the use of the church, the body of Christ. And you know what he says there in verse uh, Colossians 1.20? He says, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in the earth or things in heaven, verse 21, and what? You. You participate in it. You're a part of that 
salvation with eternal glory. Come over to chapter 3. Oh, well, uh, chapter 2. Well, chapter 3. Yeah, yeah, chapter 3 is a good one. Verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek these things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Right now, you're hid where? With Christ in God. In that future day out there, in, in the ages to come, in the glory, what's going to happen? Your life isn't hid anymore. It's now on full display. And that's where that armor of light comes in. Come over to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. While in verse 11, it does, he, it said, hey, it's nearer than it begins. By the way, in Romans 13, verse 11, once again, Paul is introducing us to some thoughts, some information with no detail. The detail is later. See that? In Romans 14, he's going to introduce us to the judgment seat of Christ. He doesn't say anything more about it. Remember when we were in Romans 12 and we were looking at the sign gifts? And he just, in Romans 12, he just introduces the gifts. Doesn't say anything else about it. Just says, here's your attitude when you have them. 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, he talks about that. Gives you the detail. Ephesians 4, more detail. See? Romans isn't designed to give you every detail. It's designed to build that foundation. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. To start that day of glory, that glorious day, that salvation with eternal glory, we have what we call the rap, the event, we call it the rapture. Paul calls it our gathering together, or the day of redemption of the purchased possession. But look at verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 16. For the Lord, what? Himself shall descend. That personal, it, this is his day. That's why he, Paul will call it the day of Christ. It's his day. Now, it isn't the day of the Lord as in the prophets, because that's the day of wrath. This is a day of glory. The details here of his personal return. He shall descend with the, from heaven with a shout. That shout of victory, that shout of the war, I've, it's over, it's done, we've won. The voice of Michael, uh, the voice of the archangel, uh, that, that's assumed to be Michael. He's the only archangel listed in scripture. But Michael is who? He's the prince of Israel. He stands for Israel, Daniel 12 says. He belongs, Jude, now he's Israel's guy. So what do you have? You've got the shout that the dispensation of grace is over and you've got Michael say yep it's time to get started Israel let's go but you got another noisemaker don't you you got the trump of God see with, and with the trump of God the trump of God is not the angels in Revelation by the way that last trumpet in Revelation when it blows it blows literally all the way out to the dispensational fullness of times it's a Okay, this isn't that. In Scripture, a trumpet does two things. Gathers the assembly and then moves them out. Okay, there's a trumpet of war. 
gather the men to battle, doot, 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 move them out. That's my trumpet, okay? All right? What does the body of Christ have to do with the trump? Well, look at the way that verse ends. And the dead in Christ shall rise what? First, you know there's going to be a blow of the trump. By the way, God's blowing the trump. And who's going to rise first? The dead in Christ. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Now there's going to be a second blow. And how you know that? How you know there's two is because of 1 Corinthians 15, the last trump at the last trump. There's a first and a second. Okay? So when you, you this is that day. What's he going to do? Caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. To meet. There's a meeting planned. There's an agenda given. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to meet the Lord. You've, it's not going to be this howdy-doody time. You've already had that. It's called Calvary. It's called what you do in time now, building into your... You're going to have a meeting. You're going to meet the... You're going to give an account. You're going to have this whole meeting plan. It's going to be a glorious occasion. Okay? We're not going to, I had a guy one time, he's like, oh, we're going to get popcorn Rick and watch Rick's life, and it's going to be fun. No, you're not going to do that. I'm sorry. It ain't going to be fun anyway. It'd be rather boring. Okay? It isn't that. It's a, what did you build upon the foundation? Gold, silver, precious stones, that wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the word? Or did you build the wood, hay, and stubble? What'd you build? By the way, you build both. What'd you build more of? Wood, hay, and stubble, that vain religious system, that human effort, human viewpoint. Thank the Lord he's the judge. Because otherwise, you know, some of you would have no mercy, and some of you would have too much mercy. And he's going to have the right amount and take care of it. My point is, is this is this <laughs> is that. The day is at hand. We know this event is coming. We just don't know what time, when. There isn't a sign in the heavens that's going to happen. There's none of that. He just says, hey, one day it's going to happen. Just like it happened in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. Just as when God was to pour out his wrath because the night is far spent. Instead, he poured out his grace and peace and mercy and long-suffering. He's going to come over here at the end, and he's going to say, it's, it's time. The dispensation of grace, the dog, is over. But the church, the body of Christ, goes up, and f- up there. By the way, you're in 1 Thessalonians 4. Look just up the page there to the end of chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians is a wonderful book. And each, each chapter gives us a piece about this day of Christ, this what we call the rapture, the end there, okay? At the end of chapter 3, look at verse 13. To the end he may establish your hearts, what? Unblameable in holiness before God. That, that right there, where he's talking about after the judgment seat. What are you after the judgment seat? You're unblameable. You're holy. Your Ephesians 5 over there, uh, Ephesians 5, 
when he's talking about husbands loving their wives, and he talks about the church, verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's you after the judgment seat of Christ. Now, 3.13, 1 Thessalonians 3.13. Unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, now watch, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. This isn't his return to the earth. Judgment seat of Christ. No, I'm instead of drawing on the board. Judgment seat of Christ, right? The rapture. We meet the Lord in the air. We go through the judgment seat. At the judgment seat, you have your new body. You're good to go. You just got that inner man that just needs to clean out what you built on that foundation. It isn't about sin. Sin's been dealt with at Calvary. It's just what did you build on? How did you build on this? We get to weigh the wood, hay, and stubble. He then takes the body up into the third heaven and presents us to the Lord, to the Father. Now, just think about Revelation 12, what's going on down on the earth. Well, there's a war in heaven started, isn't there, with Michael, first three and a half weeks. The Lord leaves us with the Father, comes down and battles in the heavens. The Father, he's with us. Well done, my son. Boy, the body looking good. Woo, best day of your life. You're looking right there. They clean out the heavens, and then Revelation 12, those that dwell in the heavens, dwelling, live. He then institute the Father is the one that puts us in. Why? Because it's the Father that says, the glory is in my Son. He's the one. You with me? Now, we're way out of Romans 13, but this is all there. That's the thing is you begin to build this in and put it back. So go back to Romans 13. It's all here. It's just not what it's. He's just not given the details. He's just brought up the, the thought. I actually run back to First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. I'm sorry. So our part in this, he's taken us. He comes for us. Now think about this. First, he comes for his ambassadors. By the way, when, when a country goes to war, what do they usually pull out first? The ambassador corps, the diplomats. He pulls us home. It's time for wrath. Second, he comes and then pours out his wrath. So you think about us. Our past is figured out, Calvary. Our present is figured out right now. But also our future has been figured out too. And we can know it. That thing in Ephesians 3, we can comprehend with the saints the breadth, the length, the depth, the height. And to know the love, we can know this right now. For, for our 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction and from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Look, folks, don't think the world's getting away with anything. They're not. 
He's going to deal with them, but he's going to deal with them. So our interaction with the world is not the enemy. They're not our enemy. Romans 12, what are we going to do? If they're hungry, we feed them. If they thirst, we give them. What do they need? They need to come to Calvary, don't they? They need to get out of this event and get over in chapter 4 event. See? So what do we have? We have love for them. We have a thought process that belongs to the same that God has. Verse 10, when he shall come to be, now watch, glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And that day is that day of, of salvation with eternal glory. Okay? So when you come back to Romans 13, hey, the night's far spent. It should have been wrath. <laughs> but he changed. He made a change of mind here. Let's dispense some, something new to man. We got some another piece of the program to do, but it's been kept secret, and now we're going to reveal it. And now the day is at hand. Verse 13, let us walk honestly, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. Don't walk like, don't go live like the unsaved world lives. That's it's Ephesians 4, 17, walking as the Gentiles walk. Don't do that. That's what you were, Titus, the Corinthians. You such were some of you, but now you're this. Let's go be that. That's what the world needs. Now, again, he, he's not talking about getting walked all over, okay? He's not talking about being, you know, I had a guy one time ask me about, the Lord said, turn the other cheek. I said, did he really say that? Are you sure? Better make sure what you're reading. He wasn't taking turn the other cheek as in being meek and weak. I'm not, not meek, weak. He's talking about an attitude, a thinking. The Lord was not a weakling. I'm sorry. Moses, the most meekest man alive, was not a weakling. The Apostle Paul, he got beat. I mean, you read that stuff in 2 Corinthians 11. He just, he got taught the, tar, the tar beat out of him. But he, it's, so it's not talking about being a weakling and being walked all over. It's talking about an, ad, an internal attitude that you have towards that, towards them that are doing the walking over you. Follow? Okay? If the government came in and said, hey, you're done, we're closing you up, we're imminent, no domain in it, and here's your $10 for the property. We can't fight that. How do you fight that? But it doesn't mean that we start marching in the streets and, you know. Why? It's not our call. If they did that, I would be very upset, <laughs> you know. But, hey, it could come. I was, we were talking Monday night. I, was, I saw a poll uh, for the midterms that the attack on free speech and stuff like that is up. But attack on religion across the board is up. And it's coming from government. They're instituting things. This, this, the stuff with the abortion, all that stuff. It's, it's becoming an attack on religion. 
It's like, wow. And you know what we are? We're a house of worship in the eyes of the government. So what are we? We're religion, even though we're as far from religion as we can get. But what do they, they don't care. What do they see? What do we do? Let us walk honestly as in the day. Let us cast off the old lifestyle, the old way of thinking. By the way, not in rioting. You know what? What is the big push here of the recent year? January 6th and the riot on the Capitol. Okay? Now, whether you agree, disagree isn't the issue, but when you looked at that, what did you see? I saw chaos. I saw somebody didn't do their job. That's what Paul, don't be chaotic. You got a job to do. Be purposeful. Be who you are. Be, walk honestly. Drunkenness. What happens when you're in a drunken stupor? You don't, can't walk the straight line. Don't be there. But, verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know what your flesh wants to do? Strike back. Get even. That old sin nature. By the way, the law, the strength of the law, the strength of sin is in that law. The, the, the law was, it was weak in the flesh. That law is not the way to do it. Somebody asked me about raising kids. How do you tell them not to do something? I said, don't tell them not to do Because as soon as you say don't do that, what are they going to do? They're going to go do it because they're not quite clicking. What do you do? You sit over here and you, and you educate them, educate them. Verse 13, let us walk honestly. We're to put on, the end of verse 12, we're to put on that armor of light, and we're to walk honestly, and the walking honest, the honest walk has to do with putting on light. Verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. So putting on the armor of light and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ are what? Equals. A plus B equals C, right? Boom, that's what we're talking about. But when he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about a person, isn't he? Not a headlamp. He's talking about putting on who you are. We're to put on that armor of light. Think about armor, soldiering, protection of light. We're exhorted to walk honestly in our relationship with society, with human government, with one another. And how that honest walk is accomplished is by putting on who we are in Christ. It's by putting on our new identity, our new man. It's by coming along and renewing our mind and being transformed. When we talked about that about a year ago now, it feels like, but a few lessons ago, that caterpillar is always going to be the monarch butterfly. That's what it's going to be. It's a caterpillar, but what's in its DNA? Butterfly. It'll never be a toad, a frog. It'll always be a butterfly. When you and I get saved and we're sealed and we're, we have this new identity put into us, what has our DNA been now? It's been transformed into this is who we are. 
Now, we have that old sin nature still here hanging out with us, and we got that battle. But the less uh, Bullinger said it, <laughs> he said, you got two dogs fighting. The one you feed's the one that's going to win. The one you don't feed will lose. He doesn't die and go away, but he just loses. So what are we to do? We're to come along. We're to, we are to renew our mind. And really what Paul's getting at here is how do you spend your time? We are to redeem the time, redeeming it, purchasing it back from the owner. When we looked, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, who owns time right now? The adversary does. We're to come in and redeem it, purchase it back for us. Paul said, how are you spending your time? You know, what you, you know how you spend your time? You ought to live as who you are in Christ. That's how you do that. That's how you're supposed to spend your time. Let's reflect our new identity. And again, that's how grace works. See? That's what Paul's doing here. Paul's, I beseech you by the mercies of God. I'm asking you to just come along and join in what we're doing. Well, I don't want to. That's fine. You don't have to. I'm just asking you to do. See? You, if you're over here, I don't want to do it. You got a little growing up to do, a little maturing to do. The appeal, what is motivating you to do? What is motivating you to live? You guys know we've been through this over the years. Paul goes, it's always fascinating to me. I talk to guys who go to seminary, cemeteries, seminary school, and they come out with this, well, I'm going to, and it's like, but wait a minute, when you come to Scripture, where does Paul go? in life to say where this is to look like and to do and to be. He goes into the home. He doesn't go to an ivory tower. He goes to the home. He says it starts with your volition. Make a choice. You get married. Here's what it looks like in your marriage. Here's the, by the way, the natural byproduct of marriage is children. Here's what it looks like in the family unit. By the way, if you got a family, if you're married, you better be able to provide for your own. So now this is what it looks like on the job. See, he doesn't come out here and go, well, when you go to church 52 weeks out of the year and you do the, you know, he doesn't do that. He says, dude, when you wake up in the morning, that's where it starts. That, the local assembly is where you just come all together doing all of those little things in the end of it, and we gather together for a little refreshment, <laughs> fellowship, re-energizing, listen to a nutcase speak for three hours, you know, whatever. See? But what do, it starts there. That's, who, that's why he says put on. Who are we putting on? We're putting on a person. Because of all that you've gotten because of all that the Father has given you in the Son, why don't you come and put him on? Why don't you come and participate with what he's doing? If you come back over to Ephesians 5, just where we were at last time, Ephesians 5, there in verse 8, but ye were sometimes darkness. See that? You were darkness. You were chapter 4, verse 17. Look, look up there. 417. 
I, I think about that. But ye were sometimes darkness. 417. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. By the way, this is Romans 1. <laughs> Having the understanding, what? Darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves. See that, given themselves. He's talking about believers who know better, who understand, and yet what have they decided to do? Just go live the way they want to live. And he says, man, when you did that, you just walked away from the light and the life that you had in Christ. You don't lose it because you're sealed, but you lose the benefit of living in it. 5.8. For ye were sometimes darkness. You were over there in that spiritual darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's who you're at. We're to shine the light. Come over to 2 Corinthians 4. Think about I, I just this studying for the Satan's strategies next hour, and this just kind of beginning to kind of click here, overlap a little bit. But look at Ephesians or 2 Corinthians 4. You see, folks, we're not to walk ignorance. You know, I saw a thing on Facebook, it was a shirt or a poster or something. It says, you can't beat stupid off, but a two-by-four sure helps to try, okay? That's not what he's talking about doing. You can, but you can do what? I can come over here and live in some light. Will I tendency sometimes to fall back over here? Sure. But what hap when, you, when you fall off the horse, what did they usually tell you to do? Sell the horse? No, get back on the horse. When I had my motorcycle accident and uh, totaled it out and all that good stuff, my poor 91 Harley, I, I, I saw the picture of it the other day and went, oh. And then I saw one in the parking lot and I really went, oh. But anyway, uh, calmer heads prevailed. When I, when I had my accident, I was talking to one of my riding buddies from the, from the uh, school district. And he says, well, what you got to do is get back on. Because right now, what goes through your mind is that. I said, right now, none of that goes through my mind. I, you know, he goes, but it will if you get back on. And you got to do what? Work your way through it. Get, you got you to uh, compartment. And I'm like, no, just put it over there. Let it go. You know? But that's what they tell you, isn't it? Well, 2 Corinthians 4, what are we doing here? If they fall off the horse, if you make a mistake, what do you do? You say, okay, I just made a mistake. This is not who I am. It's not where I should be living. So what do I do? I need to adjust my thinking not to get here again. I get, by the way, this mistake is what Christ died for. So I don't have to 1 John 1, 9 it. He already knows I'm sorry. I'm in him. He's got, what do I do? How did I get here and let's change that process of decision making? How do I do that? I renew my mind. Okay? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, 
in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, now watch, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now think about how does the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, shine unto the lost of the world? How does that happen? Well, it isn't with him hanging on a cross because he ain't on the cross anymore. He's gone. He's resurrected. So it isn't that. It's what? It's verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. How does the light of the glorious gospel of God, of Christ, shine? In your life, that's where he shines. That's the armor of light. That's putting on him. When you come and you live as who you are in Christ, that's what he's doing in Romans 13. Come back to Romans 13. That's what he's doing here. Hey, put on, verse 14, the Lord Jesus. Put on his life. Put on his life. I mean, we could go to John 1 where he talks about he's the light and the life, and, the, and that's fine, and those are wonderful. But for you and I, what do we do, man? We come in, we learn who we are, we put it in there, we get it into our inner man, and then we turn the light bulbs on, and you know what the world sees? That's a nutcase right there. What's going on with that guy or lady? Hey, what's wrong with you? And you know what you can, then you, now you have an opportunity to do what? Speak forth and say, well, you know what? I know a guy that is never wrong. He's always right. He'll never let you down. He hasn't me yet. And you get to talk about who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And you get to talk about the gospel and you get to find out where these folks are. I had a lady at the bus yard. She found out I was a preacher which I hide for the little bits, otherwise people won't talk to you. It's crazy. So I, and I like to talk to people, so I just kind of keep it. I don't hide from being one. I just don't make, I don't wear the pastor logo on the head, you know, the name tag. She found out that I was. And she says, hey, are you a pastor? I said, yes. And she says, can I talk to you? I said, sure, you can talk to me anytime. She goes, all right, well, I'm back at 930. So we had a, we, we met at the, Picnic table underneath the Ramada at uh, 9.35. Get all done. We're all done. We're back. And we, she, she has a Bible question. And so she's asking me a Bible question. And I said, well, first of all, before we do this, tell me about your salvation. Because to understand Scripture, you have to have the Holy Spirit. You can't understand it any, okay, the spiritual benefit of it. You can understand it black and white, words are words, but the spiritual impact. She gave me a clear testimony of salvation, justification. I said, okay, good. So we get to talking. And I said, well, hold on a minute. And she had a, some question out of Ezekiel or something. Uh, you know, the wheels in the sky go round and round. And she thought it was a journey song. And what does this mean and all this stuff. So, you know, it's one of the, so, but we got to talking. And I said, well, I tell you what, there's a guy in your Bible that you need to be reading. Ro Romans to Philemon. She goes, oh, that Paul guy, I know all about him. 
He's a male chauvinist pig. He's this and that. And I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? And she's like, well, he tells women to be silent. And I said, well, all right, let's go look at that. And I showed her the context of that. Wow, he says she, they can't be in authority. I said, well, look at the context. And she goes, I never saw that before. I go, well, cool your jets, lady. You know, I didn't say that to her. Inside, I'm like, calm down. You know what happened? Every now and then, I'll get an email from her today of, hey, I got a question. She won't leave her mega church group. She loves it. I never encouraged her to leave it. But she's come to understand the word rightly divided to a degree. And she's comfortable there. Just be who you are. And what happens? Again, I wasn't out wearing a big sign. I'm a preacher. Repent, turn or burn. I was just being me. This is who I am. And what happens? That light pops out. To put on Christ is to conduct a ministry of illuminating revelation of the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, guess what? Now you got a whole different mindset about society. Because you're not trying out there trying to duck and hide. You're out there trying to illuminate, shine forth him. Okay? All right, we'll start chapter 14 next time. 14, the whole chapter into the first half of 15 is the largest section here, and it deals with the weaker brother principle. Okay? So we'll have that for the... For the remainder of the next two years, <laughs> it seems like. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. It's, uh, there's so much here. But again, Paul's just laying in that foundation, okay? But for now, I encourage you to think about this issue of the relationship with, the, with your neighbor, the guy living next door. My neighbor next door to me, he's lost. He's on his way to hell. He's a Catholic. He loves being a Catholic. He'll never change. I've talked with him. But you know what? That doesn't mean that when Will comes over and says, hey, can you give me a hand, that I don't go give him the hand. Oh, you're a Catholic still over there. No. I go help him out. Because when I say, hey, Will, I need a hand because Linda can't do it, he goes, okay, and he comes over and helps me. <laughs> you know, a little two-way street there. But no, just be who you are. Okay? Have that love them. All right? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son, for the revelation in your word to understand that and to live that and to come to make it a, an integral part of our lives. In your name we pray, amen.